0: Okay, so welcome everybody to Parashat Beshalach. We have a very, very action-packed Parashat and an action-packed week. You'll hear on Shabbat that it is Shabbat Shira, that's because this week we have Shirat Hayam. Uh, you've been hearing about Parashat HaMan because this week also the Man fell from the heavens. We have two bishvat coming tonight, so there's really a lot of things going on. Um, I think the best thing to do is for us to start at the beginning of the perasha and um, start to bring together some beautiful ideas. This week's class is dedicated by the Daniel S. Loeb Torah Center. Diamond donors, Ruth and Rafael in honor of the soldiers in the IDF who have bravely fallen, as well as for the recovery of the injured. Um, also, we have a beautiful dedication um, in memory of Marlene Bat Milo, Aleha HaShalom, the sister of Linda Shama by Dr. Morris and Linda Shama. Um, I'd also like to learn today for the Refua of Tamar Bat Chuta, and for my mom's full recovery. Uh, let's get started. We're gonna start in the first perasha, and I think that's the first pasuk, and I think that's gonna set the tone for the entire direction of the class. I'm gonna read you the first pasuk. It seems like a run-on sentence, so bear with me. Elohim derech ki I'll paraphrase the first verse, and it seems that now we finally come into this grand uh, culmination. At the end of last week, we had Paro telling Moshe, "Take the people, the young, the old, the cattle, everybody. Time to leave." And not only that but we had uh, the beautiful laws that were given to us. Um, we had Pidyon Haban. We we're we in this very upswing place, especially since parshiot Va'era and Bo have been uh, totally saturated with all of these miracles, all of these overt miracles that Hashem has done for us. And so by the time we get to Parashat Beshalach, we, would think that we're on a high but those first few words should set a very important tone for us and it's very indicative of the world we live in today and the way we process uh, events what i mean by that that first couple of words should have our heart sinking first of all via we already know the things are gonna get bad before they get better. Vayihi, when it starts out of parashiyah, or it starts out of megillah, vayihi bimea hashverosh. things are gonna get dark before they get light. So we have that word there, but then we have bishalach paro et ha'am. Come on. You're writing, uh, you're a journalist, and you're writing the news of what happened. What would the headlines say? if you were the author, you would say, God freed his nation. But the way history is being recorded and the way the events are playing out, and the Torah is making us aware of this, and this is a very dangerous way to present events, by he pad'o et ha'am. What did the people think happened at this point? I would love to say, they would say, wow, God, you really did all these magnificent plagues. The last one, our kids stayed alive. Their firstborns died. We would think after all of those miracles that we would be in a place where we would say, God, I see your Yad Chazaka. I see your Yozro Netuya." Wait till I tell my children at every seder that I left Mitzrayim because God took us out. It's really tomato, tomato. You'd think I'm mincing words, but it really makes all the difference because this is how a generation will process events. If you're going to record history that says, You know why we left Egypt? Says the Egyptians. Or the world would have us think. We left Egypt because Pharaoh sent us out. And the minute we think that that's the reality, that Paro said, kach v'alech, take your people and leave, that's going to totally uh, put a veil on what really happened. And once we go down that road, you'll notice the words, b'shalach Paro et ha'am. Guess what happens? We're no longer B'nai Israel. We're an Am. And then, Velo nacham Elohim. What happened? The whole time, God has been saying, uh, Ki ani Hashem. I want the people to know that I am the Yudke Vavke. What's the difference? Why are we calling God here Elohim? Elohim, we know is the God of creation. Para Elohim. Elohim operates within nature by calling god elohim here we are negating all of the yud vavke we're not just negating all of the miracles and everything that broke the laws of nature but we're also negating that we play a role that the partnership that the jewish people have in our destiny is being shut out here is being cancelled and that was always the strategy of the Egyptians. When they gave us Avodah Kasha, when they tried to silence us, what they wanted to do was not only break the relationship between us and Yud Kevavke, they wanted us to go to this place where we would once again be mitzariyam, we would be constrained, we would not be able to see past the confines or the constructs, the constriction that we have in our mind. So when we're gonna talk about leaving Egypt, we have to say it's not just a physical exodus. We're not just going from point A to point B. What's really happening here and the world and the Egyptians, or any other host country who's tried to annihilate us, what will they want to do? Besides rewriting history, they're not going to want to allow us to reveal, for us to have this revelation, for us to have this sight, for us to see that there's something beyond the physical. And I'm going to talk about that now because most of the perasha, in one way or another, is going to talk about the revealing of the things that are concealed i'll explain that a little further but right away just just to get the landscape of that first pasuk which is going to set the tone which is setting the foundations for why god has to split the sea for why he has to do all of these events for why our journey is going to take so many twists and turns, it's all embedded in this first Pasuk. Beshalach et ha'am, when you believe that takes you out, you're nothing but an Am. And then, Lo Elohim derech Eretz who's operating? Elohim, the God within nature. And he doesn't want to take us through the pillage team, which would have been the greatest uh, ways. The GPS would have taken us the shortest distance between two points is a straight line we should have gone through at its pillage team. But it's ki karovhu. it was actually a closer way for us. Ki amad Elohim, because you know what happens when we decide to read the fake news that it's paro that sent us rather than say that it was God who redeemed us then what happens to our mindset amad elohim elohim is aware peninachem haam again we're calling the people that am that these people are going to have a uh, um, they're going to backslide bir otam milchama Mitznaima. what's going to happen if we believe that pad'o, is the one who sent us, and this is a little bit scary, then we're going to, in some crazy way, believe that our captor, which was Paro, is this person who was letting us go, if we're gonna position him that way in our mind, then all of a sudden, what happens from there? Maybe he wasn't so terrible, he did let us leave, and maybe going back to Mitzrayim is not gonna be the worst thing in the whole world, and that's not me speaking. This is what the people are gonna say, every time they hit a bump in the road they're going to ask what there are no graves in egypt they're going to say oh we remember eating by seed habasad by the flesh pots they're going to remember egypt in a warped positive way and this is a mind game that we today have to be so aware of and so as we're going into this story we have to step out of the text for a minute and ask ourselves, first of all, what are we leaving? We have to realize, of course, men <laughs> where are you leaving from? mean, Mitzrayim. We know we're physically leaving Mitzrayim. And fen where are we going? We know we're going to Yerushalayim. But there's something way more taking place. We're going from Egypt, from a place where we couldn't see a darn thing We couldn't speak, our voices were taken from us, our vision was taken from us. And where are we going? We're actually going towards, first, before we go to Eretz Yisrael, we have to make a very important pit stop, and that is Har Sinai Matan Torah. And the reason for Har Sinai and Matan Torah, besides all of the other reasons, is if we understand that we're leaving this place where we can't see, we can't hear, and we can't express, where we are totally constrained, we're going to go to a place where God is going to reveal himself and do the greatest revelation of all time. So it's not just, and I'll say this from now, The revelation of Hashem at Har Sinai is not just so that he could reveal himself to us, but it is really so that we could have a license to reveal ourselves to us. I want you, says God, he had told it to Abraham and he's been telling it to us ever since. I want you to see and know and understand and recognize what you're made of. And that's now the journey that we're gonna take, that's actually going to be the learning process. That's how we're gonna get from this place of being closed to this place of being open. And what does it even mean when we wanna go to the place of being open? So before we even do any of that, I just want because I don't know that I'm gonna have enough time to cover everything, but I would like to just give you a quick overview. So on your own time, you can delve into any one of these. It's a uh, island and a, and a world into itself, every single part of these um, components that make up Beshalach, but let me just point them out so that you'll be aware that this all takes place in this week's Perashah. So yes, we do depart Egypt. No sooner do we leave, we are going to be trapped. I'm paraphrasing. This is cliff notes. I, of course, there's a lot more here than I'm able to describe in this short time, but we are trapped. We have the Egyptians on one side, the sea on the other. God does the huge miracle. The sea splits. Uh, we sing the song by the sea. That's the Shabbat Shiddah I was talking about. Not only do the men sing, but the women sing. And hopefully we'll have time to talk about Miriam and her song. Then we encounter bitter waters. The bitter waters are sweetened with a tree, a branch. They again complain for water and this time Moshe says uh, God tells Moshe you have permission to hit the rock. Water comes out of the rock. We also complain for food. God sends quail at night. He sends mana in the daytime. Uh, we learn about the Shabbat and the double portion for Shabbat. Um, Aharon is instructed to take from the man, put it in a jar for Austerity, for safekeeping. Some people say that jar was even in the Aaron HaKodesh. It was one of the things that was stored there. Um, towards the end, we go to Refidim. We encounter Amalek. And if we get a chance, we're going to also hopefully touch upon the Haftarah, which is the story of Devorah and Yael. And again, a song of the women and how they save the day so there's a ton going on in this uh, perasha so i want to start with one verse it's all the way in the book of devarim and i think it describes a beautiful progression and i think it's also a guide on how to get to the top of that mountain and i mean the mountain in a proverbial way i'm going to read you a pasuk it's in sefer devarim Mm -hmm. Perek 4, Pasuk 11. This is Moshe in Parashat Va'etchanan replaying for the people what had taken place throughout his leadership and guidance of them in the desert. And in one of his verses, in verse 11, he says, Vatikrivun, you all came close, and you all stood at the bottom of the mountain. The mountain was burning in fire. To the heart of the heavens. And then it gives us these three words: Choshech, Anan, I'd like to use these three words: darkness, cloud and maybe smoke or fog, to track our journey from Egypt to Har Sinai. The three words are choshech, anan, and arafel. Why am I saying this? It's because it's not just describing different forms of darkness, clouds, fog, things that we can't have clear vision through, things that, conceal and don't allow us to to pierce through it's a specific progression that i think moshe is alluding to in this pasuk if we say choshech and our closest relationship to choshech is either makat choshech, where it was dark we start to understand that what we experienced in Egypt, even after the eighth plague, we're already into the ninth plague. By the way, the eighth plague, which was the Arabe, it covered En Haaretz and it created a darkness also. I don't think that it's talking just about the fact that there was darkness in Egypt. I think a lot of it is also speaking to us that we were in a state that we could not decipher. We could not, I'll use uh, phrases that the English language is very generous with. We couldn't see the light. We were in a place of concealment and our minds were also concealed. And when we leave this place of choshech and we leave this place in Egypt, we don't immediately come to this a revelation or realization we come to this next place in our parasha, where the egyptians are going to come and they're going to chase after us and what does god bring for us we're back in our parashat b'shalach. if you want to see in pasuk 21 Hashem holech this is how we're being guided how your mom Be'amud Anan, in the daytime with a cloud. Linchotam Haderich, to show them the way. Velaila, and at night, Be'amud Esh, Leha Irlahim, with a pillar of fire to light the way for them. Lalechet Yomam Velaila, so that they could be able to move, to travel, to journey to, I'd like to say, also grow daytime and nighttime. So practically speaking, it would make a lot of sense because a cloud would be more visible in the day and a pillar of fire would be something that you could see at night. What does an anan represent? And this is very important for us. If we're moving away from choshech and moving towards the anan, I'd like for us to see how the Anan is depicted here in our Perashah specifically. So if you continue to Perak 14 verse 20, at this point, the Egyptians are chasing after us. And in verse 20, it says Vayavoh, so what's happening? The Egyptian army is at one side, the waters are on the other side, the pillar of cloud lifts itself from in front of them and goes to stand behind them and it stands it positions itself between the egyptians and between the israelis the jewish nation And now we have this odd thing that the anan and the choshech v'ya'er et halayla. See, we had said originally not to be a stickler, but the truth is we have to understand this clearly. Originally, we said the purpose and function of the cloud was to guide us during the daytime. And the purpose of the fire was to guide us at night. But now we have the cloud at night, and it's the very cloud that's going to et it's going to illuminate the night. And then we have these next few words, which is a whole story in itself. And the two did not um, come close to each other the whole night. So one minute, how is it possible that the Anan, which is something that bars a person, that prohibits a person from seeing clearly. When somebody says, I'm in a cloud, it means I I can't really see clearly what's going on. The cloud becomes, at this point, a way to illuminate their reality. So the very thing in this world that would normally cause us to not be able to see well Is now going to be 'er. it's going to be a way for us to become enlightened and this is a crazy phenomena because we said the hoshech that one's easy you're in the dark you're in the dark everything's concealed but when you're in a cloud you have a choice because not everything is clear you could make some things out some things are a little bit fuzzy but then they add these words, besides that the cloud is gonna be the means by which we're going to be enlightened, they use these words, lo karav, and then these three words, ze, el ze. There's only two times in all of Tanakh that these words ze, el ze appear. And you'll know it because when we say the chazara, when we pray, we say the pasuk vekara ze, el ze veamar, Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Hashem ha'aretz You know where that pasuk is from? The station. It, it, it's beautiful. It's in the Shach Later on, when we repeat the Yeshayahu. Yes. is that Judy? Has to be Judy Yeshayahu. Nobody else would know yep. that. Love you. Yeshayahu, Pedic Six, Verse Three, talks about the seraphim a lot of Kabbalistic stuff here, but it talks about the crown or the throne, I should say. It talks about the throne of God and it talks about the angels and their wings and how they relate and respond to God and how they say Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh three times. But before they say that, it says, They speak to each other. And then once they speak to each other, they're able to have this uh, a declaration or this expression that they're able to say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. So what does that mean, Vekara ze What What is speaking to each other? And why would these words zeelze be in our verse? And I think part of the uh, uh, illumination of the Anan is ze elze. It means that the Um, clear and the unclear are going to inform each other, are going to communicate with each other. What's happening with this anan? The anan is going to interact, and I'll use words instead of anan. The um, unknown, the concealed, is gonna interact with the revealed. I have to use words like that because it's the very Anan that's going to allow us to go through these waters, to go through this split sea. So let's talk about that for a minute because I think it's important that we understand what the Torah is telling us, especially for today, and why Shabbat Shira is such a, such a big deal for us. This is an opportunity and I think it's a Kabbalistic idea that the seas, that the waters, uh, um, I'll say that 95% of the underwater realm remains unexplored. The sea and its entire uh, um, composition is a metaphor for concealed worlds. The sea is a metaphor for that which we cannot see. And in this uh, uh, understanding, we say that this, what we, the place that we were at when we left Egypt, when we were in a place of choshech, when we couldn't see, we needed to go from choshech, To matan torah and we can't get straight to matan torah without going through this sea so in as much as the sea was split in order to drown the egyptians it was real we know that we sort of made a u-turn it wasn't part of the journey that we would have needed to take because we went into the sea and we came out on the same side that we had gotten in literally like making a u-turn so this wasn't part of our GPS to get us from point A to point B. But we needed to go through the experience of going through the Yam for something very particular. And that is, we needed, to, and I'm gonna add just one more piece because there's a beautiful understanding. They say that when the Yam split, all the waters of the world everywhere also split. And in order to unpack that idea or that uh, uh, understanding, when we say that the seas split, it means that everything that had an inner dimension to it, everything that had a hidden core, was now split, was now revealed. Imagine you cut something in the middle, you open it, and you're able to see what's at the inside of it. And what happened to us when we went through the Yam Suf, when the sea split, we realized that in exposing the core of everything in the physical world, we realized that what's at the core, what's at the center of everything in the physical world, you would think, the, the spiritual world, that's where God is. And the physical world belongs to man. But what happened when we went through the sea is that everything was split open and we were able to see the spirituality inside everything that is physical. And I think that is one of the most important uh, ideas that this uh, splitting of the sea, it's basically saying that the physical is nothing more than concealed spirituality. I'll give it to you in a different way. There's also a beautiful midrash that says that the simplest handmaid was able to see and have greater prophecy than even Yechezkel himself. And why is that? Because when we went through the sea, when the waters split, when we were able to see what's at the core, we were able to see that the physical world has God at its Center now it sounds maybe maybe it's it's very basic for some of us but in seeing that we recognized something else and we recognized that there is a oneness the physical world and the spiritual world are one of course we know Hashem is one but there's something very important you can't get to Sinai and we can't oh shoot and we can't get and we can't get to Matan Torah. we can't get to either of those without realizing not just the spiritual and the physical one but the mundane and the holy the Kodesh and the holah one the earthly and the divine one we in egypt had this notion severed from us Part of the concealment, part of the inability to call out to God, part of the inability to have a relationship with God, is that we were in a place of disconnect. And what the splitting of the sea was gonna do for us is tell us we're connected, we're always connected, we always have been, always will be, but in times of darkness, sometimes it's hard to see that connection. And so instead of keeping us in a place of darkness, Hashem is taking us through this sea. He's splitting everything open for us because without doing that, then we could never be able to receive the Torah and Sinai. In order to receive the Torah and Sinai, we already had to be in this mindset that we realize Hashem is part of our world. What is What was the Matan Torah? Maybe we should talk about that. Uh, for a minute, this idea that Hashem, a spiritual being, is coming into a physical domain. Again, we say Matan Torah, and I don't know what our associations are with it, but if you think of Matan Torah, or later on the Mishkan, which is a uh, take-two of that experience, a physical place, being, um what what's what's we being totally uh, occupied or occupying, uh, or being filled by a spiritual being, something finite, housing something that's infinite. How do those things work? Those things in the world of science, where there's mass and there's matter and there's space, and everything is defined in a certain way, these concepts don't exist. These concepts can't exist. So when we start by saying things like, Choshech, Anan, there's a darkness, we start out understanding nothing, then the Anan, which might be a fog, if we're open to it, allows us to see things that are concealed. Now this is the craziest part. What is the uh, words? What are the words that are used for Matan Torah? I want Matan Torah to say sunshine, brightness, clarity. That's what you'd hope. By the time we get to Matan Torah, we went from the darkness of Egypt to the light of Matan Torah. I'm a happy camper, but that's not what it says. And that's the world we're living in today. Because how is Matan Torah described? If you'll see next week in Pedic 20, verse 18, I'll read the Pasuk for you. The people have to stand from afar. And where is Moshe approaching? He's approaching, approaching the Arafel. The Arafel is a smoke or a thick cloud or something that's even more dense than an anan. And then we understand, hopefully, and what is it that the Torah is trying to get us to understand at the very place where the Torah is gonna be given, where there's gonna be the greatest revelation of God, the highest spiritual level we can achieve, has a fog, has a component that doesn't allow us to see a darn thing. And you know why that's the highest level? Because it's at that very place of the unknowable that we come to know, that we come to have our faith, a faith that's born from what we can see I'll make it easier. A faith that's born from miracles, what happened? Let's just take a step back for a minute. All we had (laughs) for three weeks, we're having a party. There's one miracle after the next. We don't know what to do with ourselves. There's so many miracles upon miracles. But what happens to us? Every single time there's a miracle, what happens to us? We celebrate for 10 seconds, and then what happens? We fall to the floor. We fall even worse. When the army was chasing us, this is after Makat Bechorot and the 10 plagues, the going gets a little tough. What do we say? Oh, God, come on, do an 11th plague for us? I know you got this. This is nothing for you. With one flare of your nostrils, you'll handle it, God. Do we say that? No. What do we say? (laughs) There's no... Graves in Egypt that you brought us here to bury us in the desert? What are we lacking for? Cemetery plots? Is that why you brought us here? Or how about when there's no food? We complain there. And again, we complain. When there's no water, you know what we say? I'm embarrassed to even repeat the words. But this is human nature. And the question that we ask is, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbenu Im Ayin? Is God or isn't God in our midst? We ask the question, it's recorded in black ink on white parchment, not because we want to say, shame on them. Because we need to be aware of human nature and human tendencies. And the human tendencies are that miracles are very short-lived. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Why is that, that 40 days after seeing God on the mountain with lightning and thunder and shofar blowing on the mountain, come on. That was the greatest visual audio show on earth. There was never a greater show than that. Why is it that 40 days after that, we build a golden calf and we say, How does that work? On what planet does it make sense that after all of these miracles, we should we might possibly have less faith, not more faith? And so I will say this: we go through the Choshech. It takes us to the Anan, which takes us to the Arafel. The Arafel is that thick smoke cloud of Har Sinai, and it's in that thick smoke cloud of sea that we're going to be able to see most clearly we're going to have our highest level of vision and why is that because if you're gonna reveal yourself to me in a miracle when the miracle is over so is all of the hype and the excitement that came with that miracle But when you're gonna reveal yourself to me with words, what was Matan Torah? Matan Torah was a contract, and I'll say this clearly. When it comes to a miracle, God is the star of the show, and we are at best in the chorus, not even supporting actors. I'm gonna say in the chorus. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is putting God front and center. It's proof of God's mastery over the world. That's what a miracle is. And why does that not last? Because what God says at Har Sinai is, I need a contract with you Because unless you are going to be involved in the process, unless we expend energy, unless we do something, unless we play a role in bringing something about, then that something is going to be ever fleeting from us. And so you'll notice that after Matan Torah, you don't hear a single word about the miracles. Most of the miracles that happen after Matan Torah are primarily done in a natural way. And so we're gonna get our man now, we're gonna get everything right now uh, um, fit in before Matan Torah. Because after Matan Torah, God is saying, why? Wow. Once you see the Arafel, and you come out on the other side, if you see the darkness, and we all know these uh, beautiful sayings, that the greatest light comes from the darkness, and please, God, let that be the case with us and our nation and our country and our people. Please, let the greatest light come from this darkness. How's it gonna come from the darkness? It doesn't just happen. God says, I'm going to give you a how-to, I'm going to give you commandments. I'm going to allow you to engage. I'm going to allow you to be involved in your journey and in bringing about your greatest uh, resolutions. And that's what the Matan Torah is going to ultimately be about. But I want to take a step back for a minute. End, yes, the, uh, what's really interesting is is that when they say is the Lord present among us or not, the next word is a Thank, Thank you. So Zella, we love Zella because she's the best, okay. and I love your insights. Zella is saying clearly: the minute we allow doubt, well, the it's, um, I'll it's uh, seventeen. Pasuk, um, seven. Seven. pasuk 7. Pasuk 7. And the next word, the next word is Amalek. Right. So it, the the pasuk that she's quoting, and I'm glad you quoted that, and then I'm going to go to another one. But what happens to the people is when they say, Hayesh Hashem im ayin. I'm glad you quoted that one, pasuk in particular, because... Hashem is concealed and by asking, is Hashem at our center or isn't He? What did we just do? We negated everything that we just spoke about. We negated the fact that Hashem is at our center because He showed it to us in crossing and going through the sea. He showed that God is at the center, that Hashem, the divine, godliness, spirituality, call it whatever you want, that is at the center. And if you ask, by the way, the word means within us, at the center, at the core, is God in our core or is he not? That in English is called doubt. That is not faith, that is doubt. And what does God do? What is his response? So A, if you're gonna have doubt, Why does he send Amalek? He sends Amalek because this is something that we need to be engaged in. Amalek, he doesn't send fiery serpents from the sky. He doesn't send hail or make, I don't know, crazy miracles happen. What is Amalek? The war of Amalek, welcome to the war of Amalek because it's the first time that we have to fend for ourselves. See, when the Egyptians were at our back with the sea in front of us, God said, atem No problem, guys, I got this. Hashem yilachem lachem. Hashem's going to fight for you and you all you have to do is sit back and enjoy the show. But thanks to Zella, we see that if you're going to give us the show and you're going to show us through the sea, and you're gonna split all of reality for us and show us that at the center of reality is God, and you're gonna show it to me, and I'm not gonna internalize that, then guess what you have to do? God saying, okay, the miracle, the big show, that didn't work on you. We know even with homework, with projects, anything we do ourselves has way more of an effect on us than something that's been handed to us on a silver platter. I see a lot of parents here, us, I'll add myself, us old timers who would rather have the kids do the project a little sloppy, a little crooked, a little whatever, but it's their project and their handiwork because that's what they're going to gain from, from their own investment, their own insertion into the project. And here that's what's happening. Okay, you have doubt even if that everything I did for you, says God, I just gave you water, I just gave you man, I just gave you a split C. What else do you want from me? You know something, says God? It's time for you to recognize your own greatness. Because if you don't recognize your own greatness, you're never going to understand My greatness, my with a capital M for God. And the war in Amalek is not just a response to their lack of faith. It's an ability for them to cultivate faith in themselves. Because when Amalek comes and he fights them in Refidim, what do they have to do? So interesting that Moshe has to hold up his Yadayim. Because that is the counterpart to God's Yad Chazaka Netuya, when God held out His hand, that didn't have enough of an effect on us. So now we have to hold up our own hands, and we have to be involved. And Yehoshua has to go down, and he has to be involved and invested. And this is how we're able to finally conquer Amalek and. Who is Amalek anyway? Let's talk about them for 10 seconds. When it says, Do you know where they came from? We know because we know that during the time of the spies, the people who rejected Moshe's uh, law that they can't go into the land, they forfeited the ability to go into the land for 40 years. Those spies had come back and had said, We went into Eretz Yisrael and who was right there at the south border, who's still at that southern border, is those Amalekim. Those Amalekim are the ones that were going to block our way, but that's not what they did. They didn't stay at the southern border waiting for us to come amalek, they decided to preempt the whole thing and say before they even crossed the Sinai, that means they had to go all the way down south to where we were and come stop us in our tracks. And so that amaleki that came from what was north to us, the south of Israel, they came down south to catch us in the Sinai. What was their? What was it that they wanted to do? And if we just took a minute and we said they went from north to south, they went, we could say, from the mind, which is in the north, to the heart. What did they want to attack? They wanted to attack us, A, emotionally. Why? Why do they want to attack us emotionally? Because faith is an emotional thing. Faith is not something that happens in the mind. Faith is something that happens in the heart. Because the mind is the first one to say, What do you mean? How could that be? I can't prove it. It's not a science. I can't quantify it or qualify it. The mind wants to be rational and wants to have proof positives. And faith doesn't work that way. So faith is something that you have to have in the heart. And they came down from the north to the south to attack what? To attack our heart, to attack our faith. That's the, the problem with Amalek, Yad al They want to totally eradicate our ability to believe in this relationship that we have with God. And even if it means them having to travel from the north to the south, totally out of their way, they're gonna do that because that's the job of Amalek. But that only happens when when we have doubts in the first place if we have no doubts there's nobody that's gonna mess with us when we have doubts we open the door to amalek and you know what god says in fighting amalek in investing yourselves in the fight you're not just eradicating these horrible terrorist people you're also eradicating any force that tries to eliminate god from the world That's what we're eradicating when we're fighting Amalek, when we're fighting the terrorists, when we're fighting the people who want to say that God doesn't exist. This is a fight that we win this week in our perasha. This is a fight that we win in Amalek, and this is a fight that we win with Paro and the Egyptians. So I want to go back to that for a minute because I went right over it. The Shirat Hayam is so beautiful in so many ways. We know that if we want to describe words, words come from the mind, but song is an expression of the heart. So we want to say, what is it that's being sung? And maybe most beautifully, because we don't have so much time and I can't live with myself if I don't talk about Miriam for a minute, because she's one of my favorite humans. On the planet, Miriam comes after the men all sing, and maybe we should look at it together. It's in chapter 15, Pasuk 20. Vatikach Miriam Hanevi'ah. How much do we love Miriam? First of all, this is the first time her name is mentioned. Up until now, she was Achot Moshe, or she was Haalma, or she was Achoto. We never really have her name, but here she earns her name. And when I say Miriam neviya Achot, you might think I'm going to say Achot Moshe. But they call her here Achot Aharon, not Achot Moshe, which means that she gained her prophetess status even before Moshe was born, while she was still only the sister of Aharon. And maybe we should stop for a minute and ask ourselves, what? makes Miriam a niviah. What did she see? She saw the same splitting of the sea that everybody else saw. Why are you calling her a niviah? Why are you calling her a prophetess? And I say this and I'm going to repeat it. It's not just Miriam who's a prophetess. It's every single one of us who has the ability to be able to see beyond the concealed to be able to reveal, even if it's only in our mind, to be able to see the unseen. And what do I even mean by that? It says that Miriam the Nevi'ah, the sister of Aharon, she takes tof et hat beyada. She takes the drum in her hand. What drum did she take in her hand? And I love to ask who on earth has drums with them in the desert. Of all the things to pack, where everybody has to bear the weight of their own luggage, who on earth is packing a drum to go into the desert? We do Vivian. I love you, I love you. We do. Oh, you're holding up a tambourine, that's even nicer. Look at that, Chantal, I love you. And so Chantal is telling us, we do, you know why? Because the optimism a, of women, they have to give the example of optimism and not negativity and belief. So by bringing this, it was she. She had absolute certainty about the outcome and give strength to everybody else. I, you know something that's very very beautiful. Joel is saying, and I'm going to quote uh, Shlomo HaMelech, which or I, I believe it was Shlomo HaMelech, who wrote. Um, the Eshet Chayil and Shlomo HaMelech says, Vat Acharon, Vat Acharon." What was Miriam doing while she was still in Egypt, while she was still in the burning furnaces of the gas chambers, while she was still in the space of torture and captivity, V'tischak le'Yom Acharon. She was laughing at that point, knowing that the Yom acharon, that in the end, everything's gonna be okay. And Eshet Chayil is not a person who laughs at the happy ending. Everybody's gonna be happy when everything is works out well. The Eshet Chayil is the one who what? Who could laugh before it actually unfolds. She's laughing today because she has what Joel is saying, the trust and the belief And she's like Chantal. She's bringing with her tambourines because she knows that in the end, we're going to need tambourines. Who needs tambourines? A person who needs to celebrate. Who needs to celebrate? A person who knows that God's going to do something fantastic. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it. But by God, I know he's going to do something fantastic. And when he does, I'm going to be standing there ready. And really, my, my, my... my respect to to all of you that you already are reading the Pesukim that way because that's your uh, way of looking at life and this is what Miriam is asking us to do she's saying while they're still in Egypt ladies don't forget pack your bags and pack your musical instruments. Some go as far as to say that the things that they took from their neighbors, because we know that the Jewish people were slaves and they didn't have music lessons or have time to play instruments, so they wouldn't have even had them. So either they made them or that was what they asked of their neighbors before they left. We would want to say they took jewels and rubies and emeralds, sapphires and diamonds but some of the commentaries come and really depict these women as being so lofty that what they took with them were these tupim, um, um, cholot, were these um, drums and dances. Imagine a dance is a coordinated dance. So they spent time rehearsing for a dance that they knew what happened. And I'll just say this, it's not Miriam who's the Neviah. It is I'm sorry it's not just Miriam. This is an invitation to every single woman I want to even say men as well to say what what makes a person a navi? What makes a person a prophet? Does a pro, does God speak to you and therefore you become a prophet? God says uh, comes to you and and gives you uh, insight as to what's going to take place in the future and he wants you to tell the people and that's what makes you a prophet? Or does your ability to see within this concealed, within this fog, within this cloud, if in the cloud you could see that God is in this picture, that the orah... And the simcha is inside the yagon. If we could look more than ever, we need to see this today. We need to understand that it's not just a place of or a time of suffering. That in this is also God. And God being at the core of whatever this is, means That we're going to be able to once again sing, please Hashem. We're going to once again be able to dance, please Hashem. Show us like Miriam was able to see. So what makes a person a Nivea? Is the person has the belief that God is going to do these beautiful nisim v'niflaot miracles and redemptions. And God comes in and does what? And he reflects what our beliefs are. She's a Nivea because she was able to see God even in the place where he was not yet revealed, which means why? When we're in the dark, to be able to write a happy ending without any guarantees. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But she didn't know either, yet she said, bring your tambourines. That means that she's writing a happy ending. How could you write a happy ending from the gas chamber? You could write the happy ending because you know that that space, that place has God within it. And unfortunately, sometimes on a personal level, the person may not see the happy ending themselves in their lifetime, but we know and we believe, and that's why we say, am Yisrael Chai. It means that even if on a personal level, from our physical vantage point, something may look like a tragedy and is a tragedy for us as physical beings, Am Yisrael Chai means that God has and always will ensure that as a nation, we will continue to survive and not only survive, but we will thrive. There's no question about it. We have and always will continue to do that. And how are we gonna do that? We're gonna take a page out of Midyam's book. We're gonna have this understanding that the water is not gonna be just a Choma for us. It's not gonna just be a wall for us on each side as we're walking through the uh, Yamsuf, right? They had a Choma lahem, mi minamu mismolam on the two sides of them we don't want to be limited we don't want to be defined we don't want to be confined or boxed in or constrain ourselves we have like medium is showing us we have the ability to recognize that that spark of infinity that we have inside of us that is what makes us limitless that's what makes all of the uh opportunities and the uh uh, um future limitless we can't be and if i have to end because the clock keeps ticking but if i have to say one thing i will say leaving mitzrayim leaving the place of constriction that says you can't do this a place that says you're you're limited. You only could do certain things. Those those uh, uh, my my nature, my ability, my inclination. I can't. Uh, I can't accomplish all these things. All of that stuff, leave it in Mitzrayim. Now it's time for us to split our own seas to be able to see that God is inside every molecule of our existence is is literally inside us. And with that godliness that we recognize is inside us, then we know that the sky's the limit, that there's nothing we can't accomplish, that Miriam could sing and say, I knew it. I knew it so much that I was prepared for it. And that's what we need to cultivate to all be a prophet or a prophetess, is to bring God into the picture and even though I can't write the happy ending, I don't know exactly how it's gonna happen, I do know that at the end, after the soft pasuk, there's gonna be a smiley face. And at the end, God's gonna figure out, as only he can, how he's gonna take us from a place of Yagonta to Simcha. And I'll just end with this, if you have the time, and you could read the haftarah, which speaks again about another magnificent Eshet Chael, two more actually. It speaks of Devorah, who's the prophetess, and Yael. She's the wife of Heber HaKeni, who takes the tent, the peg from the tent, and drives it through the Tsar Tsava, the general, the enemy uh-huh. general, the general of the enemy, and she brings about the salvation, what prompted her? What made her think? Did she say, oh, little old me? Or did she, she didn't say what she can't do, and we know she can't overpower the general of the army, but she was smart enough to know that she could bring him some milk and cookies, put him to sleep, and then she could use her intellect to outsmart him. How many stories have we heard? The lady who served the terrorists the milk and cookies. We have so much more to us if we believe in our infinite abilities. We cannot at any point limit ourselves and think about how our hands are tied behind our backs, how we are gagged, how we're being silenced, how we're being canceled. That's not where we are at all. Shirat Hayam is here to tell us, sing and sing it loud and sing it clear and sing to the people, but most importantly, sing it to yourself and every day, remind yourself. Shidu ki we must sing because not only was God exalted, sus the sus, the horse, and I'll leave you with this thought, the horse, which usually operates on instinct, and the rider who usually operates on in intellect, both of them were drowned in the sea. What does that mean? That when Hashem deems it or wants it to happen, not the horse and not the rider, and not their instinct and not their intellect, he's gonna confound them. The horse we know from tsunamis. The horses have an instinct of something that's dangerous. Wait, there was a body of water here a minute ago, and now it's dry land. I, I have to think twice before going in here. As should say the rider. But they both went in there. And you know what happens to those people? The people who want to say, kharbi, who are thirsty for the Jewish blood, Hashem is going to see that they drowned. They're going to drown with their own machinations. They're going to put themselves in the trap and Hashem is going to God willing. This is happening in this week's parasha, so we need it to happen in our world today. We need the waters to cover them over, and we need for us to come out, and to come out singing, and to come out with strength. And that's my prayer, and that's a blessing that is beautiful here. Beautiful, in Thank you, everybody. Thank Divinu you for joining to us today. Everybody, I want you to know that my chaya, my beautiful chaya. First of all, I'm serious about the tambourines. I always was.